This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Markets. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. One last time for this session. Thank you all for your support and interest along the way. Today's been a full and both chambers traditionally work until midnight Saturday night as they work out differences on bills and try to get last minute pieces of legislation passed. We'll be watching it all with you. Thursday evening, the Senate took up and amended the House budget bill. After some discussion in the House Friday morning, the state budget passed easily and is now on its way to the governor. Senate Finance Chairman Senator Eric Tarr, a Republican from Putnam County, says he's very pleased to pass a budget in 60 days or less for the fifth year in a row. However, he also says the budget isn't fully complete until the governor signs it. Because of it being the budget bill, is if there's something in there that he doesn't agree with, he can't go and change it, but he can go and do a line item veto. And so unless we were to hang around, override those line item vetoes, and decide to do that as a legislature, then that line of the budget would come out. So as he goes through the budget, uh, I don't know yet, we'll, we'll see what he does with it, but um, that happens occasionally. So it's, it's something that uh, we, we expect. Things grew contentious in the Senate this morning as one senator demanded to be recognized on the chamber floor. Chris Schulz has more. Mr. President, Senator Robert Carnes, a Republican from Randolph County, demanded the attention of the Senate president as soon as the first bill was up for consideration on the Senate floor Friday morning. Mr. President, I demand that this bill be read. Mr. President, I demand that the bill be read as constitutionally required. Carnes said he was concerned a constitutional rule that each bill be read fully and distinctly three times was being ignored. As the day's business progressed, he continued to demand recognition with almost every bill that came up. Carnes's outburst ultimately forced a short recess. When the senators returned, President Pro Tempore Senator Donna Boley, a Republican from Pleasants County, formally requested Carnes be removed from the chamber. Pursuant to the powers granted to the presiding officer by Senate Rule 51 that you ordered the sergeant at arms to remove the senator from Randolph from the chamber. Afterwards, outside the Senate chambers, Carnes said he was fed up with how the Senate President, Craig Blair, has conducted the body's business this year. Over the course of the session, I've tried to correct things internally. Um, I think that's the best way to go. I think that um, at a certain point, and as we've seen this continued push to violate the rules and the norms of the Senate, um, it was necessary to maybe be a little bit more bold in making a statement. So that's, that's what I've done today. The Senate returned from another recess just before 3 p.m., and Senator Carnes was still absent from the floor. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz.
A bill to set the minimum age for marriage in West Virginia at 18 appeared dead in the Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday, but it got new energy when committee chairman Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, moved Thursday to have the bill removed from his committee and brought before the full body. The bill's on third reading in the Senate today, but as of our deadline, the bill has not been taken up. In the House, a bill to help charter schools garnered plenty of debate and a bill focused on a recovery house pilot program was called a life or death measure. Randy Yowie has that story. Several delegates spoke both for and against Senate Bill 47, which will set up a fund to provide financial support to the state's growing charter school network. Qualified charter schools and charter school applicants could be awarded grants of up to $400,000 total. Delegate Elliot Pritt, a Democrat from Fayette County and a public school teacher, opposed a bill he said sets up a never-ending revenue source in lieu of helping struggling traditional public schools. If they need the money for things that were not planned for initially, why do they not just ask for a one-time appropriation? Why do we have to set up a fund that we have to continually inject money to, into every year? Uh, we have a school system that is struggling. I don't understand why we've set up a parallel system that also, per statement committee, is also struggling. Delegate Joe Ellington, Republican from Mercer County and chair of the House Education Committee, supported creating the fund, reminding his colleagues that these are public charter schools. This is to help them be a little successful. They don't have their own school buses. This is to help them do that to transport their kids. It's also to help provide some of the other supplies they need. So this is probably something to help make us uh, successful for an alternative type of education because not every kid fits in to the traditional system. The Charter School Stimulus Fund bill passed with a 62-36 vote and goes to the governor for his signature. Senate Bill 147 did not fare as well. The measure would have created a pilot program for recovery residences located in Campbell County relating to landlord-tenant laws and eviction standards. Delegate Mike Pushkin, Democrat from Kanawha County, said this was a bad bill for a number of reasons. He pointed out that a client that relapsed during recovery would be kicked out, but quickly received mandated funding. When somebody would be in mid-relapse, somebody in early recovery moves into one of these houses, they're in mid-relapse, they have to leave because their behavior affects everybody else in the house, and we're putting it in code how quickly they're going to have to be handed money to kill themselves with. This will result in overdose deaths. This is not a well thought out piece of legislation. It is unconstitutional. It will increase the amount of overdose deaths in this state. Senate Bill 147 was rejected with a 43 to 52 vote. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate was poised to pass House Bill 2007 today. That legislation would restrict gender-affirming health care for transgender youth. On Thursday, LGBTQ rights groups and their allies came to the Capitol to protest the bill. Curtis Tate has that story. More than 100 people turned out at the Capitol Thursday to protest HB 2007. Last month, the House approved the legislation on a vote of 84 to 10. One of the most outspoken opponents of HB 2007 in the legislature, Delegate Danielle Walker, a Monongalia County Democrat. On Thursday, she spoke out with her usual force. Our children are being bullied by our government. 
Everyone who came to the Capitol understood that HB 2007 was all but certain to pass the Senate as well. Chris Smith, president of the Village Project, a queer community service and activism group at Marshall University, tried to look forward. Well, if this is passed, it's not the end of our fight. Historically, the queer community has fought time and time again, and we've had many leaps and bounds forward and many huge setbacks. Other states are considering or have passed similar legislation, including Kentucky, Kansas, Georgia, and Tennessee. Some states, like Minnesota, are going the other direction, acting to protect health care access for transgender youth. Smith said this is a time for like-minded organizations to reach across state lines and offer each other support. I know that we've been trying to network, uh, and we're absolutely going to kick that into high drive as soon as legislative sessions start to um, come to their ends to meet with other organizations across the United States to try to see how we can be allies to each other. Ideally, we want to have our state be safe for people, but allyship is far-reaching and uh, beautiful, so I'm sure that we can uh, keep our people safe and happy as much as we can. Another prominent opponent of HB 2007, Delegate Evan Hansen, a Monongalia County Democrat, offered his perspective on why lawmakers are pushing the bill, as well as why it's important for them to see who it will affect. No, it's because uh, they want to have something to run on. They want postcard material. They want to be able to take what might be a complicated issue and simplify it down to a slogan and get reelected, even if it hurts people. I think having so many people at the Capitol here today is important for legislators to understand that there's people in every county of the state who are going to be impacted by a bill like this. Their neighbors, their colleagues, um, potentially some family members, and I think people need to understand that. E. Bowen of the West Virginia Trans Coalition stressed that LGBTQ activists weren't just at the Capitol to send a message to lawmakers. When I was trying to think of what to say, the first thing that came to my mind was if there are any trans kids out there in this state, in this region, that are under attack right now, that are scared that they're going to lose their ability to transition, um, that look, there's a light at, this, at, the, at the end of this tunnel and you know, there will be people who will fight for you no matter what happens and we will fight like hell for it. It would have been impossible for anyone at the Capitol to ignore Thursday's protest. Smith said that was encouraging. I just want to say that I am so unbelievably happy that we are uh, having to go into another part of the building to do this interview because of how much noise that everyone is making. This is why we do this. For the Legislature Today, I'm Curtis Tate. Our reporters have done a great job this legislative session covering stories as they developed sometimes late into the evening. Tonight, Randy Yowie, Chris Schulz, Emily Rice, and Curtis Tate are all on our set together to discuss bills that have passed and the bills that are remaining. Thanks so much, Bob. This is our final reporter roundtable of this legislative session, 2023 legislative session, and we have, don't have any outsiders. This is the team that has brought you the legislature today for the last 59 days or so. Uh, with me is Curtis Tate, our energy and environment reporter, Emily Rice, who is our health reporter, and Chris Schultz, who is usually our education reporter, but has been covering the Senate but all of us have covered pretty much everything that's, that's been right. going on for the last 29 days. And we're just going to kind of look back and see what we've all focused on, because even though we each have our different beats, we've been covering a little bit of everything. Um, 
but the big elephant in the room, and I won't say that anymore because I've said it too much, <laughs> is taxes. Because after three or four years now, Chris, we have tax reform. Yeah, we came into this session uh, with a lot of back and forth. You know, uh, the governor started the session with his proposal, uh, which basically morphed into the House's proposal. And then what we have now, what actually has been signed into law, is the proposal that we got from the Senate relatively late into the session. Um, and that is a 21% uh, cut to personal income tax across the board this year. And there's a couple of other um, vehicles, including a vehicle um, reimbursement tax, which is quite complicated. But the interesting part about this tax is that the governor had originally proposed 30% and then 10 and 10 over the next two years to get us all the way to 50%. And what this uh, tax proposal does is it gives us 21% up top and then we only get tax cuts if a very complicated formula kicks in. We have to get above 110% of uh, I think it's sales taxes compared to gross revenue. It's you know it, there's a whole formula involved, but then and only then do the next uh, level of tax cuts get incurred. Um, and obviously the big thing here is you know we're taxing we're cutting taxes, excuse me, at a time when the state is seeing unprecedented surplus. And the big question on everyone's mind is well how long is that going to last and how much uh, are these tax uh, cuts going to impact revenue moving forward into the future. What is it, $740 million to make sure that we still have enough to pave our roads, to pay our teachers and, and state employees, and to institute all the initiatives that the legislature ha has brought up. We'll keep an eye on that. And, and, and spoiler alert, quick spoiler alert, it won't last. Yeah. <laughs> These are severance taxes from oil and natural gas. Those are volatile things. What we have this year may not be there next year or the year after. And on top of on top of severance, which I sorry to interrupt you, Randy, uh -huh. but the other big chunk of money that we're talking about here is the one-time federal grants uh, with regards to COVID. Those are finally running out this year after so many years of of them coming into the state, and that's another chunk of money that we're not going to see again. And remember, the governor keeps throwing that caveat in at the end. I want 100% of personal income taxes cut, and he is still dead on to get that done. And we'll hear more and more about that. Curtis, you've been keeping an eye on, on two very juxtapositional things, uh, uh, energy and, and environment, but also uh, House Bill 2007, the transgender bill. That's right. Uh, this legislation would uh, uh, basically prohibit um, any sort of medical intervention, uh, gender-affirming medical care for transgender youth, anyone under 18. Uh, that includes surgeries, which rarely happen uh, to minors here or in any, any other state. Uh, and also things like uh, puberty blockers and, and hormone treatments. Um, there uh, was a, a, a huge crowd actually uh, there yesterday at the Capitol, very, very loud group um, protesting 2007. They were anticipating a Senate, we're anticipating a Senate vote on that today, uh, perhaps tomorrow, we're not really sure. Uh, but, you know, West Virginia is not alone here. Other states have pursued this, Kentucky, Tennessee, Kansas, uh, Georgia, just to name a few. Emily, you've focused every day with the most detailed notes that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's true. They're excellent um, on health. Anything, and there's so many different things related to health. What stands out for you? Yeah. Well, uh, to roll off of a hot button issue right onto another one, this is the first legislative session since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, so our legislators were codifying and clarifying the abortion ban that they put into place last year. 
Uh, a lot of that ended up being in technical code. It is generally relating to the certificate of need with birthing centers, very tangentially there. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's what jumps out. That's what jumped out. Plus, we're going to split our Department of Health and Human Resources into that, three different obviously. sections. I've talked to a couple of people that work at DHHR that are wondering, well, I have the different boss. Well, will there be attrition? Well, you know, what will happen? What, what's your thoughts there? There's not a lot of straight answers yet. Um, we just found out last week that we wouldn't see the implementation until next year. So, you know, we, we could have assumed that, I think, with an organization that big being split into different divisions, but we're not actually going to see that separation until next year. Um, there's not a whole lot of answers to, you know, who's going to be the secretaries of these new bureaus, who's going to make those tough decisions when it comes to staffing, but I think one of the biggest issues they focused on during the legislature was staffing within the DHHR. So I can't imagine that they would be making large cuts, but that's not necessarily for me to say. What we've been seeing is a lot of things that think that we've been working on or that the legislature has been working on for three or four years. One thing that came to fruition this year was uh, Senate Bill 10 campus carry. Yeah. Uh, I, I covered that. And when you, you talk about the public hearing that had 37 people against and two of them for, when you talk about a poll of 72% of West Virginians that said they did not want to see concealed carry on campuses, when you see Marshall and WVU and Concord and WV State, uh, their presidents all come out and say, no, we don't want this. And then the uh, Senate and House said, yes, we do. And so it's been passed. And so on campuses uh, with the number of restrictions you still can't bring a, a concealed carry weapon into a number of different places on campuses but in a classroom uh, in a public room in your dorm uh, on the grounds yes and so uh, Chris I know that you've followed a number of things that are going to be uh, counter to the universities that they're going to have to do on this yeah, it's really interesting, and I think the, what you have just brought up and what Emily was just talking about is such an important reminder that so often what we're seeing happen in the legislature is not the end, it's not the solution to uh, any of the many problems or issues that face the state, it's merely the beginning. And the implementation of SB 10 is, is a perfect example. I mean, we're talking about, I think uh, West Virginia, WVU in particular said that it was gonna cost them you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to implement extra security to make sure that people don't bring these guns into places like uh, you know, events with, with large crowds. Uh, and then you've got smaller schools like Concord and, uh, and you know, uh, Shepherdstown, to just name two of them, that really don't have the infrastructure to deal with this at all the way that a larger school like Marshall might have. So, I mean, there's really no telling. They were saying maybe in the millions of dollars for some of these smaller schools that that really does make a difference millions. in their budgets. I know that WBU said 300,000 or so, but wow. I, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I th and that might be collectively for all the smaller schools, but I definitely remember that there was well, a number in the millions that was, that was mentioned. We've said that the smaller schools may have to pay more. Curtis, you, you deal with energy and environment, and we've seen a double-headed a double-edged sword, if you will, a lot of renewable energy activities, yet still sticking with uh, our coal economy as well. That's right, Randy. Uh, 
what what I've observed over the past couple of years is actually that this legislature has been somewhat open to alternative forms of energy. Last year they repealed a long-standing ban on nuclear power. Uh, they uh, in in the past two years I think they uh, they took steps to embrace solar energy. Uh, they didn't really do that this session. They did kind of um, double down on coal, and that's not really surprising because um, you know they're still. Uh, um, probably 13,000 full-time coal miners statewide. Uh, you know, it's not not a, a large source of employment like it once was, and, and it's small relative to other industries, but it still has a, a very, you know, big cultural and emotional attachment for a lot of folks. And, and it's also true that power plants uh, employ you know, hundreds of people. They contribute tax revenues to, to those communities. They support other businesses. Um, so uh, the, the the legislature has has been very supportive uh, of of coal plants, trying to keep them open and not not letting them close down. Gas and oil. We've seen a lot of our. We've met some lobbyists with the the gas and oil industry. They've been very busy. And there's a couple of bills that that relate to that end of the stick, isn't there? That's right. But uh, the, the 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 interesting thing is that even though West Virginia is one of the top natural gas producers in in, in the country, as well as the number two coal producing state, uh, we don't use a whole lot of natural gas for our, our own power needs. Hmm. We're, we're still close to 90% coal. Um, one thing that uh, they also have been working on for years and will be working on through 2027 and beyond is, is PEIA. Oh my gosh, uh, yes. <laughs> um, but they got something passed this year. I covered quite a bit of that. And, and, and after a good full day's debate by the House, uh, we just, they decided that the, since the PEIA rates uh, the pre premium rates hadn't been raised in 12 years, boom, let's not just squeak them up, let's make it 25% uh, a premium interest. That's 230,000 state employees that's gonna be, that they're going to be dealing with. They also said if your spouse has a job somewhere else and, and she can or he can get health insurance there, uh, then they should. If they want to stay on this program, it's an extra $147 a, a month. And um, the biggest thing was for hospitals to accept PEIA patients. That That's right. We, we heard horror stories of, of not just uh, Wheeling Central when they came out a, a week before session and said, as of July 1st, we're not going to take any more PEIA people because they were only getting 50% on the dollar. 50% of the Medicaid rate. Of the Medicaid rate. Which is already rate. a little under the, the market rate. And now it's 110%. And that was allowed as well. We heard about private... Uh, private practitioners and, and just, just your, your local doctor that wasn't going to accept this. But the challenge here is that within, what, three, four years, the deficit is going to be something like $422 million. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They said, let's study it. <laughs> not, that, not that I'm sure that they haven't said, let's study this for a while, but let's do some more studying on it. So there's, I guess, concerted pointed established studies rather than the plain old studies that we've just done before uh, on trying to figure out how to handle this, this, this PEIA as well. It's not, it's not like there were hundreds of millions of dollars just lying around that could fill that <laughs> gap. <laughs> well, I think it's I mean, notable within PEIA is the discussion about the state employee raise. And is that raise going to even out with the rate increases? And that's also very similar to affordable Medicaid buy-in, which they also passed, uh, at least the House did. I cannot remember at the moment where it is in the Senate. But um, 
And we haven't even got to education. We only have a minute left um, because there's still a lot of things in flux right now in that regard. Real quick. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think exactly to what Emily was just saying, that's just the story of the final days here. Uh, you know, we are just waiting to see if and when a lot of these bills are going to get picked up and voted out towards the governor or if at all. Um, that's why we're going to be here together until midnight trying to follow some of these bills uh, with you all uh, on, on TV live. And, and we'll see where things like the Third Grade Success Act, for example, which already has money in the budget for its implementation, but it hasn't passed the legislature just yet. So keep an eye on our web post as well, uh, because we're going to co cover a lot of that uh, as well right there. Emily Rice, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, um, we've still got one more day to go. We'll do final hours uh, tomorrow night and uh, then, then we'll be done with this session. So as we'll finish off, we'll go three, two, one. Back, Back to you, you Bob. Bob. Thanks for that, guys. This is our last episode of the legislature today for the 2023 session. Tune in Saturday evening for the final hours. We'll be broadcasting live from 8 p.m. until midnight when the session officially ends. A moment, please, as we conclude the broadcast. I was honored to be welcomed into this group of professionals long after my retirement to help with the legislature today. These reporters, producers, videographers, editors, technicians are all pros. They are dedicated and caring. It's been my privilege to be a part of this project. Thank you. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.